You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric Waltekens. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, I'll let you jump right in. Take her away with what our subject of the day is. All right. So today is going to be a longer episode than usual. Uh, we're doing the second half, uh, which is actually more than half because it's much longer. The second part of the garbage episode, I figured uh, this is jumping ahead in time a little bit, but since we already have the garbage episode out there, instead of just letting it sit, people keep wondering, when is the garbage thing ever going to come up again? Oh, uh, we'll just get that out of the way. Take her away. Okay. So this is going to bring together a few things that we touched on. Uh, so it's actually good that I did a little bit of background up to this point. Uh, we're going to be talking about three brothers, Charles, Frank, and James. Their last name is Magestro. These are uh, brothers who came over from Sicily. They did not come over from Santa Flavia like the rest of uh, Milwaukee did. Well, you know, the bulk of Milwaukee did. They came over from a completely different part of the island. So these guys were not relatives, cousins of, of any of these guys. They weren't mob guys. These were three just regular Joes who came over. And they took up work in the garbage collection business. So that's uh, that's the garbage collection uh, connection there. I, I hope there's a little more to this than just the fact that they were from Italy and worked in the garbage collection. In Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so the story begins uh, May 3rd, 1920. The Magistro brothers walk into the office of District Attorney Winfred Zabel. Uh, they say, hey, we've got a problem. Now, Zabel, uh, his name, if it rings a bell at all, it's because he was mentioned when we talked about prostitution. He was the DA who cleaned up the River Street area in the beginning of his career. So call back to that episode. Uh, he also, at this point, had kind of made a name for himself as the DA at the time of a bomb that went off at the Central Police Station, uh, which resulted in nine officers' deaths. Uh, this was, at the time, the most law enforcement officers who died in a single incident, and it remained that way for almost 90 years until 9-11 happened. So it was a pretty serious event, um, and it did happen in the Italian community. So although not strictly mob-related, it's something we could talk about in the future if somebody was interested, because it did happen in that community. So uh, that's a little bit of a who D.A. Zabel is. But anyway, so the brothers come into his office, and their story is that to get hired on in the garbage industry, they had to pay $150 up front uh, to G.B. Guadalabene, a man who went by Pete. And Pete is the son of Vito, who is the mob boss. And Pete is the, he's the garbage inspector. His brother Angelo also works uh, in the garbage collection business. So, these two brothers, who are the sons of the mob boss, are ranking people in uh, the city sanitation department. So they've got a, a little control over that. So on top of just paying the 150 to get hired, they also claim that to get their horse and wagon, that they use to walk around and pick up garbage, uh, they had to pay $900, which is a lot of money in 1920. Uh, they then got to go to work, and 
they were paid $6 a day to pick up garbage. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you can do the math on that, but to, just so, put so, some... So, if I'm understanding this right, you buy the... the horse and buggy. Yeah. But then you just get paid a daily rate to go pick the garbage up. Yes. Okay. Can you give me an idea? $6 a day. Is that a pretty good pay? For this yeah, time, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't sound like much now, but no, that's actually pretty good. Okay. And but but again, if you have to pay this nine hundred dollars up front, it's going to be a while until you pay that <laughs> no. off with your six dollars a day on top of having to buy food and rent and everything else. Well, so this is bad enough. Then after they started working there for a while, they get told that on top of all of this, they're going to have to pay a small percentage of their paycheck back again to to peace. So they, they were paying this for a while, but after uh, some discussions amongst themselves, they decided, you know, this doesn't sound quite right. Something is, is wrong here. And I'm not sure if they knew immediately when they got hired that this was wrong or if it kind of, they caught on later because you have to keep in mind here that these guys uh, come over from Italy. I don't know if they speak very good English or any English at all. So pretty much if their boss tells them, hey, this is how things work here, maybe they don't know any better. So I, I'm not sure how long it took them until they figured out that you're not supposed to be paying for equipment. This is like the city provides that. But um, but they did eventually. So they went to the DA um, and they told the DA uh, that they had confronted Pete about this. Uh, and Pete was not happy. He made some threats. And so they wanted the DA to offer them. Uh, protection. So uh, Zabel goes to the press. And he says, after hearing their story, I advise them to see detectives detailed on the third ward duty. Again, the third ward is where the Italians live. Uh, and in fact, the detectives there already knew about the Guadalabene family. Uh, they were uh, pretty notorious already by this point. Uh, so we're going to go back a little bit again. We're jumping all around this, the, this, <laughs> this week. Say, it's going to be a little longer because I have to fill in all these little pieces here. So they were already in, under investigation for other things going back a couple years. Um, one of the things that they got involved in was trying to uh, dodge the draft during World War I. Um, Angelo, one of the two uh, brothers, Angelo and Pete again, Angelo, uh, is, he filled out his draft card saying that he couldn't be drafted because he had to support his elderly father. He originally said that he couldn't because he worked for the city, again, in sanitation. But somebody told him that that's not an excuse. Like that's that doesn't make you not eligible. So he changed to say he had to support his elderly father. Uh, they started looking into this, and there was some very strange uh, things, some conflicting information. They went actually to the house. They spoke with the family, and they were met at the door by John Alioto, who said he was a cousin of the family. Um, John Alioto will come up again later because he becomes a mob boss in his own right about 30 years down the line. Um, but yeah, he is a cousin of the family. And he's like, this guy is old, he's weak, he's poor, he doesn't speak English. Um, none of this turns out to be true. <laughs> but but this is but he's telling he's telling the people investigating this, yeah, this guy is old, broke, he, he needs help from his son. So yeah, they're like, okay. But he didn't just give up. The police didn't just give up at that point. They went 
they started talking to people in the city who had had dealt with them and they're like no this guy he's very well to do he's very influential in the community he gets people to vote on election day so everybody knows who he is he had the veto had the reputation of being the quote king of the black hand society so everybody knew that this guy was a mob boss. Like, it wasn't a secret. <laughs> Even the people working in the city government knew this. So they're like, no, this guy, he speaks English just fine. He comes around all the time. No big deal. He's like, okay, does he or doesn't he? So they go on again, and they and they move, and they talk to a man named Angelo Sermonera. And Angelo Sermonera uh, was basically like the, the diplomat who lived in the community. He would work out problems that the Italians had with uh, the the embassy things like that if they if they needed to to work out issues yeah th- th- i don't know what they've been telling you um he's financially just fine um he's kind of a questionable character there were rumors going around that Vito, even though he was elderly was chasing young girls around for <laughs> uh, immoral purposes so yeah a little a little questionable they went and they talked to the police chief. The police chief's like, yeah, that whole family's a tough bunch. They're very dangerous. This is not a secret. Everybody knows this. Um, even The chief even said that when there was that police station bombing, Vito was one of the guys they rounded up for question. He had nothing to do with it, but just because he was a shady character, they were like, we should probably get him, get him talked to, too. And the chief confirmed that he was chasing these young girls around. Uh, Vito had made suggestions to a 19-year-old woman, that's not a young, young girl, but 19-year-old woman uh, who was already married to another guy, saying like, hey, you should come live with me. And she's like, uh, I, I'm married. No, no, thank you. I, yeah. I gotta ask the obvious question here. Yeah. So you're talking about all these people they went and talked about him to, but did the police ever just go to him and say like, hey, what's the deal? No, because it looked, like I said, when they went to his house, the guy who said he was his cousin answered the door. They never talked to him directly. When they went to his house, they, they were like, I don't speak English. I can't talk to you. <laughs> because they did, the police didn't have anybody who spoke Italian at this time. So they, if you said you didn't speak English, you Very couldn't talk to the police. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, this is crazy, goofy stuff, but... But yeah, so he's he's trying to get this guy's wife to leave him, and he's like, "Oh, I can I can take care of your husband for you." And that was phrasing he used was "take care of." Exactly what that means, I don't know. Anyway, so they ultimately decided that yeah, he's probably the son is probably dodging the draft, but he didn't end up getting drafted anyway. So it's, the whole thing kind of just went away. So that's the background. <laughs> Big divergence here. We're back in the in our garbage story again. Uh, the Magistro brothers, they've talked to the DA, but they're still, they got to go to work. So they go back to work the next day. It's kind of cold. They show up at the garbage incinerator on Erie Street, which was mentioned during the garbage episode. And yeah, they're there doing their job. And then all of a sudden, you know, Pete shows up because he works there. And he goes and he talks to Charles, the brother, uh, Charles, and he says, Go report to the superintendent. I want you to resign. You know, I, I read the newspaper. I heard what you said to the DA. Uh, not cool. You're done. You're done. And Charles is like, no, I'm, I'm not going to quit. What I said was true. They end up getting in a fight. And all of a sudden, this big fight breaks out. 
Like, not just these two guys, but other people start jumping in. Guns start coming out, clubs start coming out, knives start coming out. I don't know why they're carrying all these things um, at the at the garbage incinerator, but apparently everybody is armed. So, yeah, they, they get in this fight. Um, Pete's knocked unconscious. Charles is shot in the hand. Um, his pinky finger gets gets blown off. Nobody dies, but there's but there's people like bruised and bloody all over the place. It's just a big mess. Eventually, a police detective arrives at the scene, and he's like, "What the hell is going on here?" Um, he ends up collecting some guns, and uh, and people are like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we had a we had a fight." <laughs> they spoke to the superintendent, the guy who they were supposed to talk to to resign. Superintendent's like, "Yeah." I'm pretty sure that what these brothers are telling you is true. There's, uh, the Guadalupe's are some shady guys, so this guy knows it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so they go around, and now they've already got the DA, you know, they talk to the DA, and they're getting this on record, and now this fight is broken out, which doesn't really look good. And a couple other people start coming forward. This is kind of the thing that breaks it. Um, the Guadalabene brothers have 118 different garbage collectors who work underneath them. Not all of them are apparently paying this fee, or at least they don't admit to paying this fee, but some of them do come forward and say that they, they did. Another guy comes forward and he says, yeah, I had to pay $500 to get hired on. Another guy's like, yeah, I had to pay 150 And so they're, apparently it's not consistent in what you had to pay. So just... I'm assuming that uh, when they're when they're paying these fees, this guy's just pocketing that money. Is oh, the yeah. assumption? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, it's not going to the city. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to verify. Yeah, and, and apparently, like, if people, a couple guys came forward and said that they were like, eh, I don't know, I don't know about paying this. So then they were told that they had to go to the quote unquote palace to see the quote unquote king, which is Vito. And Vito's like, yeah, you, you gotta pay it. <laughs> it's, it's goofy, goofy stuff. And then, so, this, this, is a, this is an issue we're coming forward. The Majestos start getting threats in the mail. They're getting letters in the mail saying, you know, uh, knock this off or we're gonna blow up your house. And uh, pretty common stuff. And, uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the Guadalabenes uh, find out that these notes are going to them, which is not surprising because they're probably the ones sending these notes. And they ask to look at them, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll keep those. We'll hang on to those for you. Don't worry about it. So they take the letters away before the letters can get reported. So D.A. Zavl is going back to the press again. He goes, you know, I hope that this action will open the gates of Italian information. Scores of Italians have stories of extortion and threats. Heretofore, they have feared to expose those that have controlled their political and personal destinies through years of murder and bomb outrages. And at this point, there were several people who were murdered or had their houses bombed. Uh, like I said, we jumped ahead a little bit in time. So we'll, we'll go back and go over that. At time. But th there's already murders and bombs going on. So this isn't like the first bit of violence going on in the community. Uh, the Guadalabene brothers are rounded up for assault with intent to kill, extortion, a few other things. Uh, they're released on bond for, uh, Angela's released for only $500. Pete is released for $3,000, uh, which in today's money is $35,000. What was the reason, do you know a reason behind such a vast difference between the two? Because Pete was the one accused of actually shooting the guy. 
Okay. So and, he, was, he was held with the intent to kill. And the other one was just He's considered just, an excessive. Okay. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. Man, <laughs> uh, $35,000, which, I mean, it's not overwhelming amount of money in today's terms, but. And they were both freed when their father paid uh, to have them released with gold notes that he had. So, again, uh, clearly not poor. He shows <laughs> up with thousands of dollars in cash. Speaking perfect English, too. So they're arraigned, a trial's moving forward. Uh, the court of the bench are like, we're framed. This is, this is all full. This is whatever. This is crap. Somehow, for whatever reason, things keep getting held off. The, the trial gets pushed off for year after year after year. It actually takes almost three years for this to go to trial. Yeah. And in the meantime... The DA is hearing more rumors. They're hearing, you know, that they were, uh, of course, you know, taking bribes to get on the payroll. But they also heard about there being fees for baptisms. Like if you wanted a baptism at a certain church or with a certain priest, you had to pay them a fee, which makes no sense. Or if you wanted a specific undertaker to handle your funeral, you'd have to pay a commission on that. Why? I don't know. But apparently these were just little things that they did to try to get money out of people. And it really shows you, like, they could pretty much apply these kind of tactics to anything. You know, as long as they had somebody in the background that was willing to sit there and force the fees upon people, they could fee any, charge fees for anything, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, like I said, I mean, when a lot of these people are, you know, fresh off the boat, they don't speak English. They're going to do what they're told because they don't know any better, on top of the fact that if they do know who Vito is, um, he's backed up with, you know, everyone says, oh, these murders, these bombs, these are all coming from this guy. Whether they are or not, that's what everybody thinks. So, uh, yeah, if, if he or his sons are like, yeah, yeah, you know, pay us a few bucks and we'll, we'll hook you up, they're going to pay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a pretty good racket they got going there. So, yeah, like I said, it, it takes uh, about three years before it finally goes to trial. It's a pretty big deal uh, when the trial does finally happen. There's people sitting in that are notable. Uh, a man named Mike Vitucci uh, is sitting in. Mike Vitucci uh, is crowned the new king of Italy, uh, king of Little Italy following Vito's death. He is not a mob guy, just to be clear. He's actually a respected member of the community. And if you are familiar with... Uh, on East North Street in Milwaukee, there's a bar called Vitucci's. Oh, okay. And, well, actually, I think they, they might be closed up now. But, the, but there was a bar in Vitucci's. Brothers take the witness stand. Uh, starting with Charles. Uh, Charles goes on there and he says, you know, uh, my memory isn't so good. Yeah, sure, I was there on the day of the fight. Uh, that was almost you know, three, four years ago. I don't remember. It's been so long. Me and Pete, oh, man, we were always friends. We're still friends now. You know, no one's no one told us to drop this case. I mean, but we're telling you everything that we know. I don't remember who was shooting. I don't remember how many shots there were. Me and Pete were good friends. 
Uh, whoever whoever shot me, uh, I mean, that's all over with now, whatever. So they're like, okay, this guy's not very helpful. <laughs> His brother James takes the stand. Uh, and again, very, very similar. He's like, I don't know who had the guns. I don't know who fired them. I don't remember when the firing happened. Was Guadalupe there? Was he still in his office? I don't really remember. So he's not helpful. The third brother, Frank, comes in. Now, Frank, I mean, he's he's limping. He has to rely on the benches in court just to get up to the witness stand. Um, he's just in poor shape. But again, same thing happens. He says, you know, this is four years ago. I don't know. Maybe there was some shooting. I don't know. Maybe Pete did the shooting. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I didn't do the shooting. I don't remember if I did the shooting. Did I do the shooting? I don't know. Who can tell? I know my brother was hurt. I remember that I gave the detective a gun, but I don't remember who fired the gun. I don't know. Four years is a long time. So, <laughs> so do, you, is the, do you think that this is a trick that the mafia uses? Somebody that's in the court system or something that can delay these trials for uh, over and over and over again so that so that they can use exactly that when it finally does go to trial that, well, we don't remember. It was four years ago what happened. I, I don't know. I mean, later on, there's definitely some, some questionable things with people in the court system. At this point, I don't think they probably got that kind of influence. They probably just hired really good attorneys who knew just how to knew how to postpone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're familiar with how the courts were, you, you know, you file enough motions and stuff, you can get things extended forever. Yeah. So I, I, I think it was just they, they hired the right, right people. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, more so, I, it's never explicitly said, but the impression is that somewhere between this day and the truck, the, the day of the fight and the trial, um, either these guys were paid off or they got scared enough that they were told to, to not talk because there's no, I mean, yeah, you're going to forget some stuff in a few years, but it's not like they forget. He's like, I don't know who shot me, but like, you don't forget that. Unless you just didn't see the person shooting you, but yeah. Right. So, so their testimony is very suspicious. Agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah. So the, the attorneys talk it all over uh, between prosecution and defense, and they're like, yeah, we, we can't work with this. So they end up just, after all these years, they, the, everything gets tossed out. Nobody ends up actually having to go through with a full trial. They stop it after these three guys, who, you know, are your main witnesses. Are like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Uh, they, they hand it off to the judge, and the judge agrees. He's like, yeah, we're not, we're not going to trial with this. Like, like if the, our three guys are like, I don't remember, what are we going to do? Um Interesting side note, the judge in this case is a man named uh, Judge Edgar Werner, whose name um, you've never heard of, no one's ever heard of, it doesn't matter, except that um, when he retired as a judge, he was replaced by Joe McCarthy, who uh, later became quite famous as a senator. So just kind of neat to know that this guy's replacement was Joe McCarthy. This guy, in it, he's not important. He is nobody. One last thing. For this story. One more final piece that I think is interesting, and that's that many, many years later, remember this is 1920, way later, in 1962, so 40 years later, two of the uh, the muscle men with the mob, a man named Joe Guerrera and a man named Steve DeSelva, who will come up many times in the future, uh, they start extorting 
from another group of Magestro brothers. And this group of Magestro brothers are also in the garbage collection business. <laughs> they have their own private garbage collection company. Uh, so like, we won't even get into that. But, but weird coincidence that years later, this same family, like these kids or grandkids of the original family, the same crap happening all over again. So does this mean that we could have a third garbage episode? Maybe, but not for a long time. Now wait, episode 200. Yeah. We're bringing back the garbage people. Are we holding it? <laughs> 200? No, we will long forget about it by 200. Okay, but uh, we'll say around the 200 area. <laughs> by the time we get to the 60s, yeah, we can do something <laughs> So I'm curious now. We don't. I don't really want you to touch too much on the different stories because if you are going to tell stories about this, but is there a lot of weird sectors of business that we're going to hear mafia stories about where they're doing stuff like this in areas where you would never have thought they would be extorting money from people? Yeah, I. I you know, probably it's it's funny because to me they don't strike me as that strange just because I've been reading them for for a long enough period of time, I guess. But I suppose there's things that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I mean, yeah, how we talk about prostitution, like, yeah, obviously, prostitution, uh, gambling, obviously. But I suppose, yeah, if you think, well, what does the mob do? Um, I, I think making people pay to work with a garbage truck is not usually... <laughs> Yeah, there's probably going to be some some weird stuff that doesn't immediately come to mind. Sure. Are are there ones that you not going to do a story about that you can share right now? Of you know, like I I've have no idea. Okay, okay. I have no idea. We don't plan that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other question I had with this was. So now, would you consider this was this like a real stream of income for the ma- mafia, or was is this just kind of like a hobby to them? Because I, to me, the way you describe it, it doesn't sound like it's, I, it's making them a lot of money. Yeah. But it's, it's obviously not very scalable. It's not very. Imagine that it's like a fraction of their income. Would you yeah. consider that this is just kind of something like they saw an, a small opportunity and it's like they had the guy in the right position to do it, and they're like, yeah, make us a little money here. It, it's a piece of the pie. Yeah. It's a piece of the pie. I mean, they're they're getting this money from the garbage. Uh, garbage employees and as we noted you know maybe a little few dollars here and there from baptisms and whatever else but they've got so much else going on uh, the one guy runs a nightclub the other guy has a huge farm out in uh, arena wisconsin if anybody knows where that is it's kind of but yeah so i mean they had other legitimate and illegitimate streams of income. And a lot of times there's that overlap there because how do you afford to buy a large farm? Probably with some of this money that you got questionably. So, and, yeah. It could be very well. It could have just dropped into this to generate some revenue to fund some bigger project or whatever. Yeah. So, so it's, it's hard to tell where, you know, the legit and illegitimate, where the fine line is sometimes. That's cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the garbage yeah episodes for now for now <laughs> <laughs> gavin if you want to hit them up with well actually i'm going to start out by saying um we now officially do have the milwaukeemafia.com website we up yeah. um if you go visit there you can learn about gavin's different uh, all the books he's written as well as it's got a whole blog of all his writings he's been doing for how long gavin uh 20 years i don't know 
20 years. Maybe longer. So they're not all mafia related, no. but there's a lot of good stuff on there. When I used to have a day job that I had nothing to do, mm-hmm. I spent many, many of hours reading the things that he wrote. I, I highly recommend the uh, Tom Cruise incident. One of my favorite articles of all time. Oh, t- you know. <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. Okay. So, and Gavin, if you just want to throw out your contact information. Yeah, so it's we kept it real simple. Uh, now it's not just MilwaukeeMafia.com, but it's MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. So you can hit them up there. Visit the website. Let, it, let us know how, what you think of it. And we'll see you next week on another episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.